You know, we are in the Christmas season, and there is no doubt about that with the Christmas decorations and the music that we hear. I loved us singing very familiar Christmas carols and hymns tonight. If I was to ask you to define Christmas in one word, what word would you use? Go ahead, give me a word. Jesus, glory, we have some young ones here tonight. What would you say? Beautiful. That is an incredible word. I was so anxious to hear what you were going to hear because there's lots of children, and I'm thankfully not the one that are here. Some would say Santa, some would say gifts. There's some women that if they were really honest, you would say, this is two words, but you'd say Hallmark movies. And all the guys are like, oh, seriously, can we just get past December for the Hallmark movies? Some would say family. But for believers, for Christians, for us here in church, yes, you would say beautiful. You would say Jesus. Emmanuel is a word that comes to mind. God with us. Noel, peace, love. However, for some this year, in the middle of this pandemic and all that 2020 has brought, unfortunately for Christmas, some would say loneliness. Those that have buried loved ones this year, they would say loss or fear, sadness, and anxiety. Each of us, you see, bring different words to describe Christmas. These descriptive words, they often even change year to year based on our age, our family scenarios, our financial situations, our perspectives, and our view of the world around us. However, there is one word that encompasses the entire meaning of Christmas, regardless of age, regardless of time, and certainly regardless of circumstance. And I would challenge you tonight that that word is hope. Everyone say hope. Hope. Christmas is hope. Now, one of my favorite Christmas songs in this season is Oh Holy Night. How many of you love Oh Holy Night? I mean, it is, and you got to have a good singer sing Oh Holy Night. I mean, because you know, when you hit that high note, it's like you're just waiting. Everything is, is just anticipation until that one point of the song. And did you know that Oh Holy Night has a connection with the city of Pittsburgh? This is a sidebar, but did you, any of you know that? Oh Holy Night, let me tell you a little bit background story on this. So the very first song that was ever broadcast over radio waves was the song, Oh Holy Night. It happened on December 24th, 1906. And there was a man, Reginald Fessenden. He was Canadian. He actually was a PK, a pastor's kid from Canada. And Reginald never graduated high school. Now, Reginald didn't write Oh Holy Night. Reginald was an inventor, and he was the inventor of the radio broadcast. So, Having never graduated from high school, he worked his way up to getting a job with the Edison Company. From there, he went to Westinghouse, and after Westinghouse, he worked his way, and this is a non-high school graduate, Reginald worked his way up all the way to being the head of the electrical engineering department at the University of Pennsylvania. Well, here he had a dream of 
of creating communication that would go out over radio waves. And at the time, there was no such thing. Well, the connection to Pittsburgh is that he found investors, there were men here in Pittsburgh that believed in this project, and it was the city of Pittsburgh, or people from Pittsburgh, that funded Reginald's invention. And so in 1906, on Christmas Eve, December 24th, Reginald read the Christmas story found in Luke chapter 2, and he played violin, and the very first song that was played on radio waves, he played on his violin, was O Holy Night. And the lyrics from O Holy Night lead me to the message for our, our message today. As you know, the lyrics go, O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Till he appeared and the soul felt his worth. You can't even like read those lyrics without singing it on the inside. You know what I mean? But here's the line I want to focus on. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. I don't know if we could end this trying year with any better season than what Christmas brings. I believe you would agree that it's been a long year for all of us. We have been tried and tested, and unfortunately, we're not through it just yet. Many of you, hopefully not here tonight in person, but many of you watching are fighting sickness, fighting loneliness, fighting isolation, fighting mental mental exhaustion and burnout. Some today are financially burdened to the point where the last thing you want to hear is that Christmas is right around the corner. Kids and families are longing for connection, gathering, celebration, and joy that community brings. Today, we need what the familiar Christmas lyric proclaims. We need a thrill of hope, and the weary world needs rejoicing. So my prayer today and in the weeks to come as we open God's word and we look again at a very too familiar Christmas story is that hope would come alive in you and those who were weary would move from being in despair to a spirit of rejoicing. So with that, I've titled today's message, A Thrill of Hope. Let's pray. Father, I believe you desire to ignite your people with a thrill of hope and this isn't a feel-good emotional thing this is a spiritual thing that is empowered by your holy spirit who you said would come and comfort us so i pray that as you use this vessel that your word would come alive and that you would bring hope for us all amen hopelessness is an emotion characterized by a lack of hope, optimism, and passion. The person who is hopeless often has no positive expectation for the future. Hopelessness affects the way one perceives themselves, the way perceives those around them, their circumstances, and even the world. When someone loses hope, they often no longer value the very things that were once important to them. People without hope experience powerlessness, helplessness, abandonment, captivity, oppression, and isolation. 
And I think you would agree that this certainly does not define the life that God has called his children to live. In fact, Jesus tells us in John that he came so that we may have life and have it more abundantly. That we would live a rich and full, satisfying life. Or as the NIV says, we would live life to its fullest. Hopelessness robs us of the life that we are called to in Christ. Now, let me be perfectly clear. Jesus never promised us a life without problems. It is not a life where everything goes our way. It is not a name it and claim it life. Putting your faith in Jesus is not a golden ticket to having all of your desires met. God never promised us that. And anyone who tells you otherwise isn't reading, preaching, or interpreting Scripture correctly. However, in the midst of despair, God gifted us a hope that will sustain us and be an anchor for our souls. He also has provided his word, the Bible, which as well as providing truth to God's character and his promises, it also provides examples of men and women of faith who have been sustained by hope while personally experiencing incredibly Incredible hopelessness and isolation. So today I want to look at one of those examples. If you have your Bibles or your phone, you can open it today to the second chapter of Luke. And we're going to move to verse 36. So would you turn there with me now? They're going to put it up on this screen beside me as well. So you know the Christmas story. But before we get to Luke chapter 2 verse 36, let me just remind you that Jesus has already been born to Joseph and Mary. And it was tradition that after a Jewish child was born, it was required by the law of Moses that the child would be taken to the temple of the Lord and dedicated, the first child. So here, Mary and Joseph were being obedient to the law of Moses. They took Jesus to Jerusalem to be dedicated in the temple. And just before we get to the 36th verse, while they are there, there is a prophet named Simeon who prophesies over Jesus. And then now that leads us to verse 36, which says, Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. Now think about this. Before the birth of Jesus, before this all happened in Luke chapter 2, The Israelites had every reason in their mind for hopelessness. There had not been a prophet in Israel for 400 years. And they had been passed from from one ruler to the next. They currently were living under the foot of Roman oppression. And even living under Roman oppression within the Israelites... There were those that were seen as traitors, such as tax collectors. These are Jewish tax collectors, those within the Jewish community. 
There were religious leaders and even politicians who seemed to have sold out and lost hope in the coming Messiah by collaborating and being used by the Roman government. For all intents and purposes, God's chosen people, these Israelites, were in a state of feeling powerless, hopeless, and abandoned by God. But in the middle of all of this, as we just read, there was Anna, an 84-year-old widow who we just read had lost her husband after only seven years of marriage. And since that time, she had spent her entire life in the temple worshiping God through fasting and prayer. Let me pause here to say this. I am grateful for the widows that we have in our church that give us godly examples of what it means to worship like Anna. I'm grateful for that. So Anna remembered what so many others in the nation of Israel had forgotten. That God had repeatedly promised to redeem his people. And they had spent their entire lives waiting on the Messiah to come. The certain hope of God's work and promises. They carried Anna and they sustained her. Lonely and isolated after her husband had died, she could have given up on God's promise. But instead, this prophet, this widow, this woman of God worshipped in exemplary hope and experienced the first Christmas. What a wonderful example for you and I this season. So what kind of hope is this? What did Anna know of hope? that sustained her through years of pain, isolation, and loneliness. Today, I want to challenge you with three things that I believe Anna teaches us about hope. And here's the first. One, hope is about a promise. It's so important for us as believers to distinguish the difference between the world's definition of hope and God's definition of hope. So let's talk about the world's definition of hope. If you looked it up in the Webster Dictionary, Webster would define hope as this, to want something to happen or desire accompanied by expectation. So let me demonstrate the world's definition or the Webster's definition of hope by saying a few phrases, things which I think you will relate to. We say things like, I hope my kids turn out to be okay, or I hope my son does this. I hope my daughter does this. I hope my wife, my, my husband does this. There's probably some single women here at the Christmas season that would say, I hope my boyfriend gives me a diamond ring for Christmas. We say things like, I hope I get this job. There are probably some today that would say, I hope I don't get COVID-19. There are others that would say things like, I hope I can just make it through this pandemic. Yet statements like these actually cheapen hope's definition and ground them on one's own personal feelings and desires. Understand that hope that is based on a feeling is a hope subject to disappointment. For followers of Jesus, for Christians, people like you and I, hope always depends on the reliability of the one who makes promises. Hope is never based on our wishful or positive thinking. It's not based on feelings or even how much faith we have. 
Hope is based on a God who is really there. A God who became flesh and dwelt among us. A God who has left us good and sufficient reasons for us to know and to trust him. If Christmas and Easter are not true and trustworthy, then you and I have no hope. That's the world's definition of hope. But here is God's definition, a biblical definition of hope. Hope is not a feeling of something good to come. Hope is the assurance in the one who is already here. Look at this verse with me in Hebrews. They're going to put it up on the screen here. Hebrews chapter 6. The writer of Hebrews says, So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable, his promise and his oath. Why? Because it is impossible. Everybody say impossible. Are you awake out there? Okay, I want to make sure the eggnog didn't get passed out before. You're a little quiet on me. Everyone say impossible. Okay, there we go. Because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. Hope is an expectation based on what? Based on the promises of God. God's hope is not based on feelings, desires, or positive thinking. It is based on the promises of God. We have the promises of his resurrection, his ongoing and perpetual presence, and his final return in glory. The second thing Anna teaches us is that hope is about a person. Again, our expectant hope for a better future is not based on wishful thinking, but rather it points to a specific person. Hope is not wrapped up in a season, a new job, a bigger house, a political party, or even a president. Can I get an amen? Let me just say that again. Hope is not wrapped up in a season, a new job, a bigger house, a political party, or a president. Hope is wrapped up in one person. Hope in the Messiah, the person of Jesus Christ. So why is Jesus the fulfillment of our hope? Because he is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. All of God's promises and all of God's earthly activity are centered in Jesus all of history is built around Jesus. In fact, history itself is divided by his life. Jesus declared, think about this, Jesus declares in Matthew 5 that he was the realization of the hope of Israel. He said that he had not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but he had come to fulfill them. Even the disciples, especially after the resurrection, they realized that Jesus was indeed the fulfillment of the law and therefore the disciples' hope was no more in the future, but it was in the present because Jesus was with them. They realized that they had had the fulfillment of all the prophecies and all the law right in their midst in the very person of Jesus Christ. The 84-year-old widow, Anna, confirmed that Jesus was this fulfillment and the expectation of the Jews and to all who would look to him in faith. Throughout the entire Gospels, 
we find Jesus calling attention to his own person and not to a coming Messiah because he was the Messiah. And it's interesting that, did you know Jesus never once uses the word hope? He was hope present. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world realized. And the good news for you and I is that Jesus is still our hope today. His birth, his life, his resurrection should be proof that God's plans and his promises cannot be frustrated and undone. The Christmas carol, O Little Town of Bethlehem, it reiterates this in the familiar line when it says, Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Hope is in a person. And the third thing Anna teaches us is that hope is here today. Hope is about a promise and a person However, hope is not something for Christ followers simply to gain understanding of. Hope is to be lived out. Hope is to be experienced. Hope is available to each and every one of us right now. If you have opened your heart to Jesus, he will give you a vision for better days. Actually, for the follower of Jesus, those better days have already come, at least in part. The better days promised in the Old Testament are available to us right now. You can call on the name of the Lord and receive and enter into the promise of better days. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The power of God is available today, not just for some distant future. God's beautiful future actually has already begun in the life of the believer. From the words of a man who prophesied the birth of Jesus Christ 700 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah, look at his words in Isaiah 40, verses 28 through 31. The prophet Isaiah says this, 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah writes, Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. The prophet says he gives strength to the weary. Any of you who are weary, the Bible says he gives strength. And what does he do to those who are weak? And increases the power of the weak. Even youths, even teenagers who grow tired and weary, even teens who are at home doing school online and they're tired and weary. The Bible says that young men, when they stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles and they will run and not grow weary. Isaiah says they will walk and they will not faint. There is strength for the weary today. There is hope for the hopeless today. So as we come to the table of the Lord, those of you who are here, would you take this packet? I'm going to have you work on it now because this little plastic part can be tricky. If you have this element, there's a thin film 
if you peel that back first, you'll see the little wafer is on top. And then the purple foil is for the cup, which we'll do in just a moment. Hopefully, those that are watching online, you have your elements and you have them there. So here's, as we come to the table of the Lord, this is so important because I think we forget this. We come in remembrance, not just of the past sacrifice Christ made on the cross, but also of the very real and present hope of his birth, his death, and his resurrection that brings you and I today. This meal, the bread and the cup, it's not just a meal of remembrance of the past. It is a meal of remembrance for what happened, what we have available today, and the blessed hope of what is to come. It's a meal of hope. Listen to these powerful words by author and theologian N.T. Wright. He wrote a book called Surprised by Hope, and he speaks of this. N.T. Wright says, We break the bread to share in the body of Christ. We do it in remembrance of him. We become for a moment the disciples sitting around the table at the Last Supper. Yet if we stop there, we've only said the half of it. To take any headway in understanding the Eucharist communion, we must see it as the arrival of God's future in the present not just the extension of God's past or of Jesus' past into the present. We do not simply remember a long since dead Jesus. We celebrate the presence of a living Lord. And he lives through the resurrection precisely as the one who has gone on ahead into the new creation, the transformed world, as the one who he himself is the prototype. The Jesus who gives himself to us as food and drink is himself the beginning of God's new world. At communion, we are like the children of Israel in the wilderness, tasting the fruit plucked from the promised land. It is the future coming to meet us in the present. That's what the bread and the cup represent tonight. Paul says, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself on the night when he was betrayed. The Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces. Would you break this bread together? He broke it. He said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you partake of the bread? same way he took the cup of wine after supper saying this cup is the new covenant between God and his people and in gre- an agreement confirmed with my blood Would you hold the cup in your hand he said do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it let's partake of the cup
today, you very well may be like the Israelites at the time of Christ's birth, at the first Christmas. You may be frustrated and hopeless. You may be waiting. You may be tired of hearing help is on the way. You may be lonely and fatigued. You may feel powerless. You may look at the world around you and think, where is God in all of this? Like the nation of Israel, you may be looking and longing for the day when Christ will come and set all things right. May we be like the prophet Anna today, that while we wait, we would worship in fasting and prayer, and that we would recognize the hope that this Christmas brings. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that some 2,000 years ago, there was an 84-year-old widow named Anna who despite losing really her everything but her breath in the middle of a nation that was hopeless and hurting she kept hope and when Jesus came to the temple she recognized him immediately I pray that that same hope would fill our hearts that you would strengthen your people tonight. I pray for those who are weary, for those who are exhausted, for those who are sick, those who feel powerless. Would you give them a supernatural hope, not based on feelings or emotion, but one based upon your promise, one based upon who you are and your word. And I pray that as the Apostle Paul did in Romans 15, verse 13. I echo his words and say, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.